Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everyone andy richter here you are listening to andy richter and the three questions or the three q if you're in a hurry uh those questions for those who don't know are where do you come from where are you going and what have you learned and we are going to ask those questions not we i guess i am yeah i mean you're going to listen uh today we're going to ask those questions of the very talented, very funny comedian, actor, Baron Vaughn. Yes, hello. I'm ready ready to answer the three cues. All right. You knew that that was coming, right? Yes. Okay. I call them threeks. <laughs> like the <laughs> cue is better. a threeks. That's even like more time-saving. Yeah, and in exactly. L.A., you got to save time. <laughs> yeah, time is money. You got to save time. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming. I'm glad somebody told you because sometimes people come in here, they don't have any idea what they're, what they're in for. You know, it's just podcast. They're like, okay. Well, I studied improv, and isn't that what life is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, come on, that's a little corny. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of times, life is not yes and; it's no but. Oh yes, you that's know, true. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. if if, you, if life is not no but, you are, uh, you know, you you <laughs> you're in for trouble. Well, don't people? Haven't there been a couple famous books of people who say yes to everything for a full year? There was that. Oh, I don't know that. Like the like the um, uh, the year of yes. I feel like that was a very famous book where some woman like said yes to everything that anyone asked her to do. Then Jim Carrey made that movie. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Which is the same thing as that book. Yes, yes, yes. Now, but that seems very dangerous. Of course it is. Oh my god! And especially when people find out. <laughs> you know, you can't tell anybody you're saying yes to everything. Yeah, exactly, because then you'll you know you'll be metaphorically changing a lot of diapers. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Baron. Yes. You are a child of the Southwest. I am, yes. Yeah. Um, New Mexico? Correct. I was born in a small town in New Mexico, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and what town is that? It's called Portales, New okay. Mexico. It is the home of uh, Eastern New Mexico University, uh-huh. which is where my mother and father met. They were both students there at oh, wow. ENMU. So there, there wasn't like a family history of New Mexico. They just kind of— Well, no, there was a, there was a family history. I, I was born in a small town called Portales, um, but then after I was born, I moved to a smaller town called Tucumcari, mm-hmm. where my great-grandparents already lived. Oh, wow. So I was actually raised by my great-grandparents. Great grandparents. Great grand my my mother's grandparents wow. until the age of I want to say I was like six or seven. Was your mom young? She was young. She was like nineteen. Oh wow. So she was in college at, at Enmu. 
Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think anyone calls it that, but I'll call it that. That's nice. I like it. They should if they, if they don't. Good old Enmu. She Enmu. was enrolled at Enmu. And, uh, Enmu sounds like an Australian uh, lizard or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I watch out. There's Enmu's out <laughs> There's here. Enmu's out here. That's my, that's my, it's, it's okay, it's, Australian. That's pretty good. No. Maybe a little bit more Kiwi, but we'll, we'll get to right, that right. later. I think as time has gone on, my Australian's gotten better than my English accent. Oh, really? I don't, I'm not going to prove it because I'll fuck it up, but well, you know, but just trust me. Technically, you could say that an Australian accent is a bad English accent. <laughs> It is true. <laughs> it's a prison style English accent. The one, the one that I can, and I actually can hear the difference now because I worked in New Zealand for mm. three months. The New Zealand accent is like a is like a gross Australian accent all through <laughs> the nose. And there was a there wasn't. I love that you have to scrunch your face to yeah, do it because it's like that. You know, it's like um, like they say fish and chops. Like oh, like it's not oh, chips. It's like fish and chops. Yeah. And uh, and I actually there was a radio ad in. When I was in Auckland, that was like, it was for a mattress store. And they said, are you sleeping on a bed bed? <laughs> like, a bed bed? What, wait, what is that? A bed bed. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I love the person that goes into the like, yeah, my, my bed's bed. Can I get a bed? <laughs> yeah. Can I get a bed a bed? My bed is bed. My bed is bed. Yeah. I'm sleeping bed because my bed is bed. Um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a nice sidetrack. So, it's um, a perfect sidetrack. Enmu. Enmu, yes. Enmu, your, your mom continued in Enmu. Yeah. yeah, because she was young when she had me. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around around my birth, Andy. In what way? Well, these are things that I'm still learning about little little by little. If we can get real for uh, five seconds. Of course we can. That's the whole point. <laughs> if we can Right know, off the fucking bat, let's we can get real. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so basically, I mean, my mom was 19, right? And my father, I think he was like 21, something like that, just a little older than her. Um, they weren't together in my father's mind, wow. but they were in my mother's mind. Oh, dear. So what happened was- Had they been together for a long time before You know, she got it's pregnant? unclear. They were like, I mean, she was 19, so, you know- it, Unclear in that your mom never told you. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I assume that maybe, even, you know, if she was 19, then maybe she was a sophomore or, you know, or a freshman in, in college. So she probably wasn't even there that long. Yeah. Um, he was from the, the city, Albuquerque. Oh, The wow. Kirk, I like to call it. <laughs> Captain Kirky. Albs. Albs, that's right, ABQ. Um, and so she became pregnant with me, and then my grandmother was very upset because she was young, and she was like, you are in college, and you need to finish college. My mother was poised to be the first person in my family to finish college. Oh, wow. And so this pregnancy kind of came out of nowhere as far as the rest of the family was concerned. My grandmother was like, get an abortion, and my great-grandparents, the one who raised me, were like, you had sex outside of wedlock. We disown you. Super cool, super cool. What kind of religion is that? Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. And I'm still trying to trace that because, look, this is the thing, Andy. Like, a lot of this stuff from the past doesn't get talked about in my house. Oh, wow. So we didn't talk about the past so much, I didn't even know we weren't talking about the past. Wow. And it's because I I have now learned as an adult, having talked to my mother and having met my biological father, Mm -hmm. who I did not grow up with, left before I was born, now I'm kind of putting all these... Piecing it together, I'm, I'm putting all the different, you know, um, slots in the right slat. That that's probably not it's, a good. It's, it works. You know, slots. We know is, what you mean. You got a slot slide. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like you know, my great grandparents came two weeks after I was born, 
My mother was alone when I was born. Not, literally nobody was there. She, she stood in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. She had me. A friend of hers happened to be a nurse at the hospital. Her roommate came and brought some food and stuff. And then my great-grandparents came maybe two weeks later, left the casserole, and said peace. Didn't talk to her for another two years oh my God. after that. Which after that, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I don't know if it was the community that they were in. I don't know who said, you know, mm, I don't know about this disowning thing. I don't know if that's the right move. So they came back into her life. Or maybe hopefully hopefully just like a modicum of humanity, you know – Eked in. That's 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 what I would assume. Either they had some internal shift, or mm-hmm. somebody around them pushed them towards it. Right. Or Jesus told them. Or or Jesus. That's also a possibility. Yeah. They were eating some chips, and then one chip was like, "Hey, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. You're being a dick." Oh my God! Saltine Jesus just told me. <laughs> Salt and vinegar Jesus just gave me a message. He said we're being too vinegary. All right. Um, so the. They took me, and then they raised me until I was probably about six. So mm-hmm. my mother was able to finish university, get her get her life back together, I guess. You know, her, her grades and studies had suffered. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> because of the circumstances and of how, how Mr. Far, me over how here. How far was Tukum Carey from, from school? You know, it's un, it's it's unclear to me. I was there a couple of years ago. I made a little documentary called Fatherless. I know. Out there in, yeah. in, the, in the airwaves, if anybody wants to watch it. But— we went to Portales, and I hadn't been there forever. Yeah. And then we drove to Tucumcari, but New Mexico is so flat <laughs> and, <laughs> and empty. Sense of time. You definitely are like, was this 30 minutes or three hours? Yeah, I can't yeah, tell. Yeah. There was just tumbleweeds the entire way. I grew way. up in the country in Illinois, and, and we used to the, – the conception of time in the car there, because, like, you know, the nice restaurants – were three towns away, but three towns away was 45 minutes to an hour. So mm-hmm. we used to drive an hour to dinner, but because like you said, there's flat and there's nothing and, you know, it, it was no big deal. Whereas an hour of LA traffic time is, uh, makes you want to murder. It's five yeah. miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can travel yeah, yeah. barely five miles in an hour of LA yeah. time. Did well, you my, have- my point was that, yeah. th- oh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, were you close enough that that your mom would see you frequently, like come to you on the weekends and stuff? Or? Um, you know, it's it's gotten spotty those years. Yeah. So I feel like, I mean, I remember going to her graduation for college. I remember- And you were what, three or four then? I was probably- Probably six, actually. Oh, oh, okay. It took her. It took her extra I time. See, I see. She was working multiple jobs. I she got was it. working a job in Portales, working a job in Roswell. So wow. she was she was doing and doing college at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of things happening. Um, she came and got me, and because I feel like I remember being in my great grandparents' house and her car pulling up and her getting out of the car and walking towards the house, and I was in the front looking out the window at her, and I I feel like I remember going, "Hey, that's my mom." Oh, wow. Oh, I know her. That's my mom. Wow. In some sort of way. So I recognized her. I felt the connection. Yeah. But in a way, I didn't really know her that well at that point. So then she got me, and we lived in Tucumcari for maybe another year, year and a half before we moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, Ah. which is where I spent the majority of my 
life before I, you know, went went to college and all that stuff. What what took her to Las Vegas? Well, um, she had kind of mostly grew up in Las Vegas. Oh. Um, which I didn't know as well <laughs> until I was an adult. <laughs> my grandmother was there already. Um, my mother went to like high school in Vegas. She would go to high school in Vegas and spend her summers in New Mexico with the great grandparents. Yeah. And so she was always kind of, you know, going back and forth those different uh, deserts, you know, being in New Mexico and being like, this desert's not hot enough. They're going to Vegas <laughs> like, this one's too hot. Then going back to New Mexico, this one's not hot enough. Yeah, yeah. Never found what was just right, you know, sure. in the Goldilocks of desert living. Right. Um, so my grandmother was already there. We moved there. And, you know, and at the time, and I think it was like 88, 89, maybe, Vegas was, for a very long time, the fastest growing city in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, had a crazy low unemployment rate, had a very low cost of living. Mm-hmm. If you were, I don't know, a single mom fresh out of college and you needed a job and a place to live, you could go to Vegas and find something that wasn't going to, wasn't going to hurt you yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. that much. So, right. And then my grandmother was there as a support as well. So she lived with us for a long time as well. I see. So it was me, my mom, and my grandma. And what did your mom do? My what, mom, what job did she get? Well, she at first worked in retail at a couple of different like clothing stores and stuff like that. She was very interested in fashion. She also had a business degree, so she had like an associates in business or something like that. Um, and then, um, then the Mirage Hotel Casino opened, uh-huh. and that's one of the reasons there's a low unemployment rate in Vegas. Yeah. When a hotel opens, thousands of jobs, fa- like three, five thousand jobs, yeah. like that. You know, so. That hotel opened. She got a job working there in the, I think, in the first the first fleet of hiring. <laughs> um, she worked in the retail warehouse, which is where literally everything that was sold at the Mirage Hotel had to come in there. Got it. Uh, first be inventoried, blah, 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 yakety schmackety. Um, and then we moved from one side of Vegas. We were in North Las Vegas at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was a very long drive to get to the Strip for my mm-hmm. mom. So we moved closer to the That's strip. what's ridiculous about Vegas. It's What's just that? Like, just how big it is. It, it's kind of big, yeah. Like one end to the other is like over an hour. It, yes, exactly. And it's bigger than it's ever. Like every time I go back to Vegas, stuff that was just black desert yeah. has crap in it. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. has hotels with rides in Just it from, you know, when I first went there 20 years ago to when I go now, it's unbelievably crowded. Yes. Unbelievable. Everywhere you go is unbelievably crowded. And are you talking about tourists or locals or a combination? I mean tourists. I mean tourists because, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only I've only been like into the, you know, the real living part of Las Vegas a few times when I was there working on different things. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, going to that really good uh, that really good Thai restaurant, Rose's Siam. You ever been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah I have. Oh, that place is fantastic. That's off the strip. That's kind yeah, of off is. the beaten it's path. It's in like a really weird Strip mall, like oh, yeah. a gigantic well, strip mall. Everything's I mean, in the strip I know, mall in, a weird in Vegas. Strip mall in Vegas. I mean, I'll tell you this: I hate it growing up. <laughs> I bet. I bet. It's only it's a now that I, re- I realize place. it. Yeah, it's a bizarre place. It's not a like you know. And now I have children. Uh, well, I have one child and another one on the way. And congratulations, and, well, thank you, sir. I mean, just about the first one. Uh, the second the one. Second one. Let's you know, see what happens <laughs> when he pays his first bill. Yeah, I'll yeah, take yeah. A, I'll take a congrats. Um, we're trying to figure out like, do we want to stay in Los Angeles? Do we want to live somewhere else? Do we want and in that conversation comes the you know the the philosophizing about what might be important to us in yeah. terms of where we live and that's what made me realize that like oh i did not like growing up in las vegas like there's it's 
Too hot, first of all. Yes. Too hot. Not enough. Gross. It's gross hot. Yeah, because it shouldn't be there. Yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. The, the, it's a ridiculous. It's 120 degrees in the summer. The only place that's hotter is Phoenix. And when I would see that on the news, like, it's 123 in Vegas today, 125 in Phoenix. I'm like, why? Why are we here? <laughs> is what I would yell by myself yes, at the television yes. as a middle schooler. Why are we doing this? Oh, hi, Mom. Um, but... It's it's very hot. It's very hard to be outside, um, which as a child you need and yeah, want because you want to play you know basketball or football with your friends like yeah. I wanted to or whatever the heck you know and just be outside. That's why I became a really good bowler because <laughs> it's a sport. But there's air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, sure is. Yeah, and you can get a slice of pizza in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of frames. Right, and you get and you don't put any wear on your own shoes. Exactly. True story. I used to want to be a professional bowler. Oh, did you really? Yeah, but I also used to think Xena Warrior Princess was well written. <laughs> so you grow up, Andy. <laughs> I understand. You grow up. I understand. Uh, my grandmother was a big bowler. My family had like a bowl. We were all bowlers. Wow. And like in middle school, I got into it. And like it was a point where I had like a 200 average. I was wow. like, I'm good at this. And then I well, just. There's a, and, and Vegas has a ton of bowling alleys. Yes, yes. Really indeed. nice, gigantic bowling alley. Exactly. If if bowling was in the Olympics, then yes. <laughs> there would be some Vegas lanes in the Vegas. Town, yeah. Exactly. Um, so that was really the only, bowling and video games because they were indoors. Yeah. That's what I kind of gravitated towards. Right. Um, but like sometimes I go to when I go to Vegas, my parents live in a different place now. I'll go to the old neighborhood that we grew up in, um, and I'll, I'll just drive around and be like, wow, this is really run down now. And then I go like, wait a minute. It was always run down. Yeah, yeah. I just was a kid. Yeah. So I didn't know. Yeah. I was walking these streets. Everything's just concrete and apartments. Yeah. And so finding like parks, stuff like that, nature, these are things that I'm now learning are important to me. Yes, and I'm like, yes. you know Especially what? Especially with a kid. Yes. I want him to be able to run around, yeah. climb stuff. Right. You know, like, unlike me, uh, when I climbed things, it was stairs to another concrete apartment. Yeah. Apartment <laughs> unit. And children, too, when they're little, you just got to run them like a dog. Basically. You know, you got to take them somewhere where they can just run around. Yes. You know? Otherwise, they will not go to sleep. Yeah. Or they just make you nuts. <laughs> yes. Yes, and they exactly. Make, and they end up being a little nuts themselves. Yeah. Too. Oh, my goodness. He's, my, my son is slapping himself in the face these days to keep himself awake at night. Oh. That's insane. Wow. How it's, old is he? He's, he's 19 months old. Wow. He's not even, he's barely two and he's just like slapping his face like, whoa, fired up. Just like, <laughs> like he's about to fight, you know, Clubber Lang in the rank or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. He's got to get into his, get into the zone or something. Have you been showing him professional wrestling? That might be a, you know. oh, <laughs> oh, that's how we get him to go down to sleep. <laughs> I show him old clips of the yeah, first yeah. WrestleMania <laughs> and it just, that's what the problem be. Yeah. Oh, thank you for the tip sure <laughs> no wrestling before bedtime um back when it was the wwf right um what the heck were we talking about we were talking about uh you figuring out where to raise a kid because you hated vegas yeah and that's what i'm realizing is that like like i, I mean what do, you, what do you think where, where what are you thinking oh man we, we i mean like that's the other thing is my wife and i we, we can't agree uh -huh. <laughs> what we think is important does your uh, does your is your wife working Right now, no. Yeah, yeah. She just got out of grad school, so she was in grad school when we when we had our first child. Uh -huh. So and studying, studying playwriting and screenwriting. Andy. Got it. You can because do that anywhere. We so artsy, <laughs> um, artsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're artsy. That's a theme song to our our creativity. <laughs> um, where I catch a football and look at the camera and just mm -hmm. kind of shrug. Well, but if you're so artsy, you would probably miss the football. Exactly. I'd be you'd like, drop what? it like, just, hey, I'm too artsy. <laughs> Whoops. And then I paint me dropping it. 
that's better. Am Sorry. I right? In this painting, I always catch. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we have different ideas like, you know, what kind of climate we want, what kind of, you know, town or, you know, how the big, the size of the population, stuff like that, where yeah. we're like, what do we want to do? And, you know, we'll probably not leave Los Angeles. It's just so expensive here, uh, as you might know. Yeah, but it's hard. I always find, too, you know, it's, I mean, my, well, I mean, my life is real weird right now because uh, I'm going through a divorce, so we're kind of mm-hmm, st- mm-hmm. stuck here for a while. But, I mean, but, I mean, I wouldn't have, I, I'm here, you know, as my, a friend of mine once said about living in Los Angeles, he's like, I'm a coal miner. There's coal here, you know, like, ah, uh, yeah. You got, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? And because there's, uh, you know, the notion of like, well, I mean, for me, I work on a daily show. So yes. I get, you know, I work in Burbank, I live in Burbank, and oh my God, it's fantastic. I bet. As you get older and you get crabbier. <laughs> <laughs> that 10 minute drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the proximity of the par- the points in your life, the closer they are, the happier of an old fart you are. Hey, they've done a study about that. They said that like that's a big, big source of happiness is being not that far away from where you work. When I, when I do, like when I do... Uh, Outside gigs and do stuff like have to drive to Santa Monica mm-hmm. and be there mm-hmm. at, ni- at nine a.m., which takes three hours. It's fucking ridiculous, <laughs> yes. and it's like, and and I just realized, like, oh, if I got a job over here, I'd, I'd have move. to move. Yeah, I'd have to yeah, fucking yeah. move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just couldn't do this because of the you know the cortisol levels are raised so frequently that yeah. you're just shaving time off your life every moment you're sitting there, you know, with ways telling you, you know. Make a left turn across this six-lane highway. (laughs) Well, uh, Andy, they did an update, and now you can say no left turns, (laughs) no difficult intersections. Um, No, that's the biggest thing about Waze that frustrates me. It's kind of like, all right, now I got to cross Venice. What? Uh, I know. A left. I've always said Waze is like having uh, a navigator that's high on cocaine. (laughs) Turn here, turn here. Oh, yeah. No, 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 but I'm in the wrong lane, you know. And you know what? To to throw some more shade at Waze, like um, I was an early adapter. Yeah. To Waze. I drove across the country twice with Waze. Yeah. Up and down to Vancouver, Canada from here twice with wow. Waze. Huge, long trips. I had racked up the points, Andy. Yes. I was a Waze royal. A Waze pioneer. Waze royalty, the highest yeah, yeah. echelon of Wazing. <laughs> Is there like echelons? There's echelons, Andy. Wow. However, sometimes they just delete. It just deletes itself. And then you got to start over. And I'm like, all that, all those years oh. <laughs> of earning literally nothing. Yeah. But just, just the idea that I had been driving too much. Yeah, yeah. And now, I, and now it's gone. I gave up on Waze when it uh, had me, I was, I had a doctor's appointment like in Beverly Hills or something and it was shitty traffic and it had me go up into the hills and mm-hmm. back to Ventura three times. Oh. Just go up into the hills and then like kept switching like and you know on the, the this is so boring for people who don't live no no but no they, the hills everybody's dealing with gps yeah up, hashtag uh, gps problems everybody yeah. if you hit andy up on twitter <laughs> let him know you're yeah, having yeah. gps problems. we're all we're all in it together hashtag gp us no it just it took me up the hill and down the hill back to ventura three times oh, and no. i was just like Hello, Google Maps. Did you have no lefts engaged? No, I didn't. I didn't. It just, it just, well. I'm just for people for that don't For people that don't live here, up in the hills, mm. the roads are very. Scary. Weird. And they just sort of creep up and they're not like distinct lefts or rights. And when you're following the GPS, you can end up very, very wrong. And then there are people who just 
drive way too fast up yes, there. Yes, that's true. Like you can fall. Well, wait, <laughs> your car well, yes, can fall. Oh, no, kidding. off of this road. No kidding. And Waze, Waze has made it too. Like I know people who lived up there and loved never having any cars on their street. All of a sudden, now they live on a major thoroughfare. Oh yeah, because Waze is you know driving. And a lot of those people there. are trying to sue Waze. I know, I know. Or they sign up for Waze and then put that there's traffic in their area so people <laughs> won't come in. Well, that's not a bad way to do it. That's yeah, what yeah, people yeah. are doing. Right, right, right. You, you gotta uh, fight the internet. There's werewolves. Uh, don't come in this neighborhood. There's werewolves. Werewolves ahead. What? <laughs> well, all right. So um, yeah, I forget what we were talking about. Yeah, we're talking we're about so you. Much fun. It's always about you. <laughs> yes. um, so uh, wh- when do you, when you moved to Vegas? When you were what age? I was uh, seven or eight. Seven or eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of kid were you? I mean, you know, you would well, go to public school. And, yes, yeah. went to public school. Um, yeah, it was me, and my mom, and my grandmother, and uh, you know, I I was in third grade. So, however old you are in third grade, because I did a month of third grade in New Mexico before we moved. Right. So we moved in the beginning of the school year. Uh-huh. School was already started, which was. Jarring, yeah. But um, going to Vegas and then um, went to Ira J. Earl. <laughs> Anybody out there in Vegas? Anyway, that's the who's Ira J. Earl. That was the name of the school I went to. Who is it? I don't know. Oh, you got. I went to I went to Ira J. Earl Elementary and then I went to Pat Diskin because mm. we moved from one side to the other when my mom got sure. that job. Then I went to Kit Carson Sixth Grade Center. I know who Kit Carson is. Well, yes, one yeah, of the yeah. great, one of the one of the greatest guns of the old west. Yeah, an explorer, like crazy, you know. Ira J. Earl is probably just a popular councilman, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. Pat Diskin's probably the same thing. They but they both killed many bears. Probably yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, big men with hair. Um, to get those positions because it's Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Mafia, no sure. one. Okay, so. Yeah, and then um, we were, I was just kind of, uh, I was a smart kid, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always interested in learning. I've always been interested in learning. That doesn't mean I was necessarily good at school. Right. Um, because I did not like homework. Yeah, um, yeah me I neither. Did, I didn't like having to prove to the teacher that I heard what they said. Do you have attention thing issues? A little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, especially then, I was I was the only child, you know, so it was me and my mom and my grandma, like I said. We had two cats. And um, I was I was a little weirdo at school, especially when I was younger. When mm-hmm. I was younger, I was a bully, even. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because I was I had a lot of displaced anger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't know where to put it. So, yeah. and kids treated me like I was weird already. So I just kind of fell into it. Yeah. Until I went too far, and someone's uh, uh, dad called the cops on me. Oh wow! And then I was like, all right, I am literally done with this. Yeah, yeah, I gotta. Stop I never this. because because you know. And I think about I think about the people I bullied a lot too. As a, as an adult, I go like, oh man, I was so I was a mean kid, but I was confused and afraid. And then at some point, I went, you know, this doesn't do anything. I'm just hurting someone. It also someone. does not seem like you too. I mean, you know, it just doesn't seem in character. And and of course, you say displaced anger. That that's the explanation right there. I yeah. would assume I a wanted to feel place, powerful in some place, kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to feel powerful and in control in some yeah. sort of way. So having, you know, an effect on another child was like, it made me feel like I was important yeah. or I was somebody, which I think is the heart of all bullying. Yeah. Is yeah. somebody just wants to feel like they matter in right. some kind of way. And I guess I, once the cops were called on me, um, I was like, mm, this is not, <laughs> this is, this is not the way to yeah, yeah. get whatever feeling. Even as a, even as a third grader, I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. Um, and well, so. Well, thank God you had the realization at that age. Yes, exactly. Jesus. Because I was bullied. 
that's the irony. I was never, I wasn't that physical with kids. Yeah. Because I was not, I was a slight child. Yes. So I wasn't physically intimidating. It seems like your brain is your muscle. Yes. Yes. I was, I psychologically terrorized other kids with my existential dilemmas Mm. and and riddles (laughs) that I would throw at them. And then we moved, thank the Lord, (laughs) I was able to reinvent myself. That's great. Um, Yeah, when I went, when my mom uh, remarried, in between second and third grade, mm-hmm. her, her, my stepfather adopted me and my brother mm. so that because my mom wanted to have more kids, she wanted all the kids to have the same last name. Mm. Um, and she also wanted the financial stability that my stepfather, well, I mean, I'll call him my stepfather, although he was my legal guardian. But how old were you again? I was. <clears throat> Well, it was, I was eight. I oh, guess, okay. You know? Yeah, because it was between, yeah, like I say, between second and third grade. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so my, I was Andy Richter. And then when I got adopted uh, in between second and third grade, going to a new school, I became Andy Swanson because that was my stepfather's last name. And mm. so, and in such a transparent, in retrospect, such a transparent attempt at like, Attempting some sort of control, I decided Andy Swanson didn't sound that great. And my full name is Paul Andrew Richter. And my mother has Mm. always called me by my middle name. Her logic was, I named you after my Uncle Paul, but I don't really like my Uncle Paul. (laughs) So she called me Andy. Uh, Great. So I've been Andy, which is- I've embedded something I dislike in your name. (laughs) I know, I know. So uh, I've I've been Andy my whole life, Hmm. and it was very handy when I had problems with bill collectors, because anytime anybody called asking for Paul- I wasn't there. <laughs> or he wasn't yes. there. It was his roommate, Glenn. I just made it. It was his roommate, Glenn. Mm. Um, and I even got relationships with some of the bill collectors as Glenn. Like, <laughs> I gave him the message. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm trying to help you out, man. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I decided Andy Swanson didn't sound good, so I became Paul, Paul Swanson. Swanson. So for third and fourth grade, I was Paul Swanson after Whoa. having been – Andy Richter, and then my grandfather died. My grandmother couldn't maintain this big house, Mm. the big family house that my great-grandfather had built. Yes. So my mom and my stepdad move us all back in there. By that time, I had a younger brother and sister who were twins. Moves us back in. I go back to the same school for fifth grade, and I'm, hey, this is the new kid, Paul Swanson. And it's all these kids who are like, you're not Paul. You're Andy. Andy. And I'm wow. like, oh, fuck it. All right, I'm Andy. So then I became Andy. I mean, I was always Andy at home, but I mean, and I'm fine with it, but it was just Missed like- an opportunity. To me, it just was like, it was so much like there was so much change being thrown at me. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I got to do something. I'm going to change my first name. I mean, I think fuckers. those are those are very jarring ages, maybe. Oh, it's you very strange. It's very, it's, you know, it, the, those kind of changes on a little kid are, are, I think, are very formative. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think definitely, you know, and I think like, like just, you know, the thing that, you, you know, when you said that's my mom, you know, coming yeah. up the walk and that like, that's, that's gotta be a heavy thing that has that, you know. Well, now it is. That, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but I mean, that's, it. it's got, you gotta like. It's got to have had an effect of some kind. Definitely. Just that sort of dissociation with. Yeah. You know, this primary relationship. And then also this kind of idea of, um, I, I guess I want to say, like, um, 
temporality or yeah. something where it's just kind of like we're always moving. You yeah, know, we're yeah. always, I'm always with somebody else or something like that. I mean, you know, when my mom and I moved to Vegas, you know, like I said, it was my mom and my myself and my grandmother for a really long time. And then I had a stepfather coming yeah. in the picture. Um, probably hmm, seventh or eighth grade in my brain, it's, it's getting fuzzy, but he came into the picture. Uh, and then my little sisters were born when mm-hmm. I was heading into high school. And was that a happy change for you? You got along with them okay? We or? never really got along, no. Wow. Um, we, I, I kind of like, we tolerated each other, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, to this day, I yeah, think. Yeah. So it's kind of like, and then my little sisters are 13 years younger than I yeah, am. Yeah, my brother, mine are nine, twins, nine years younger. Yeah, right. so it's like we're very different places in our lives. Yeah. You know, like I was going to college yep. when they were starting to make full sentences and yeah, yeah. have a full conversation where I'm like, oh, you're a human being now. Yeah. Like I used yep. to change your diapers and now you're like, here's what I think. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but I was in the East Coast by that point, you uh-huh. know. Um, so it, it's, those transitions are always kind of tricky, I guess you could say, especially when we, my grandmother moved out for a little bit and then she moved back in. So it was like, and then me and my grandmother got a bunk bed, mm-hmm. uh, which was super cool. Um, really <laughs> popular child. I hope you made her sleep on the top. <laughs> Get up there. Uh, no, she claimed it. She was like, my nerd. Um, <laughs> No, she had it was a futon. The bottom was a futon, so oh. it was kind of like it turned into a couch where we could watch TV. Nice. Uh, we had TV in every room and cable because we didn't want to talk to each other. Sure. And uh, <laughs> luckily, I got to watch all these movies. Um, yeah, I guess I was talking about the whole bu- bully thing. Yeah, I transitioned out of that and then became a kid that became bullied. Like when I moved to the other neighborhood, then I was like the weird, slight, nerdy, awkward kid with the chipped tooth um, that. But then also by that time, I was really into comedy. Yeah. So I didn't think that any bully was – like when kids made fun of me, I was like, that's not really that – like I was like I was like a YouTube commenter. I'm just kind of like lame. That's not, that's not really that Were funny. You performatively funny? I mean, did you use your, your, your humor as a, as a defense? You know, like so many people, you know, deflect bullying by yes, being funny. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and it was like I could make people laugh. Yeah. Which means that was the way that I then had the power. Yeah. Instead of terrorizing children, I could entertain them, you know, make them laugh, and that was positive. Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of like – and then – if I make them laugh, then maybe I'll be well-liked. And then maybe when somebody wants to beat me up, somebody else will be like, uh, leave him alone. Right, right, right. He's hilarious. <laughs> you know how that always works. Sure, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, because of all that constant change. Yes. I mean, you, you've chosen a career that is not exactly stable. No. Nope. Do you think? I mean, do you think that that was because it's what you've grown used to? Because you know, I think I think that that kind of constant change when you're young can you can either react, you can go one way or the other with it, and you obviously kind of maybe got used to it. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, that's a really that's astute observation. I think um, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Welcome back to astute observations. I'm just going to keep <laughs> rena- right. renaming this podcast. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's something I'm actually, as an adult, you know, especially as a person who is uh, has a career and trying to maintain it, um, that question that you're talking about is at the heart of everything I need to change as far as I'm concerned. Oh, really? Because I've been living in sort of a, I don't want to say a manic kind of way, but mm-hmm. it's always like this chaos in which I'm juggling things and I'm always trying to catch up to it. Yeah. And so the, if you will, the stress of the survival 
that I had in middle school is still embedded how, in how I do things. It's how, it's how you work. It's how I work. Yeah. So it's sort of like I'm trying to like let those things go because they just don't serve me yeah. anymore. And they, and if anything, they're in the way more than anything yeah. else. Where it's just sort of like, do I need to just fully hate myself for three months to, to, to get a new 10 minutes? Like, is that really that useful? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So those things are like um, still... I guess you could say I'm, they're kind of. I'm still kind of morphing them or or trying to sculpt them. How much did becoming a dad affect that? Like impact that? I think a lot. Yeah, I think a lot because the moment my son was born, it, just the thought of it's just not all about me anymore. Mm-hmm. It was. My sister in law said, "Now you know who the real baby is." <laughs> Yeah. That's a great way of yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. it. Where it's, yeah, it's definitely like, okay, well, I'm officially a grown up. Yeah. So it's like, it's now my job to address a lot of things that, you know, I'm still stuck on. Mm-hmm. So that way I don't just pass it to him. Yeah. You know, like I can, hopefully I don't give him all my bad habits, yep. you know, and all my, all the ideas, especially about how I feel about myself, that he, you know, he's already pretty confident as far as I concerned. Yep. And I'm just like, I just got to maintain that, maintain yep. that. Um, yeah, because I was kind of an inside kid, you know, how hot it was in Vegas, just kind of socially awkward. I was more interested in TV and movies yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And then that was also where I was like refilling the creative well to be able to take material to school mm-hmm. to entertain everyone that could have bullied me with. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like... Now I'm like, oh, there's still this stress of being judged uh, or or being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kicked out, which showbiz does. Yeah, rejection. Yes, showbiz makes you feel like there's a hundred people behind you. And if you don't do what we say, we will just pick somebody else that looks exactly like you and will do what we ask. So, but that... That's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> That's, one of the craziest doesn't things. Doesn't help you create. One of the craziest things about show business, and I mean, because there's a lot, I mean, there's a, a tremendously fucked up psychology to Absolutely. most people in show business. And one thing that I have always noticed is that so many people in show business are so much more affected by, susceptible to being hurt by, ruled by rejection. They are it's it's defines like their inability to handle rejection defines so many people, so many talented people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. professionals that I know. And they go into the fucking rejection business. Mm-hmm. They go into the business that's just rejection after rejection after rejection. And not only that, the thing that's always struck me, like the one that blows my mind is awards shows. Mm. You, you got a room full of rejection junkies. <laughs> Who now? Who, who have now made it? Give me like that they, trophy. yeah, Give me they that like trophy. they yeah. got to the top of the fucking mountain. They're all wildly successful beyond what they probably their dream, wildest dreams were. Yes, they still have to get to a point where out of ten people, nine of them feel like shit. Mm. Nine of them get to be rejected again. Like it's like a tooth, a tooth that, that they get to push on again. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's so weird and so crazy that we just can't. You know, yeah. it's it's probably a good thing because if people started, if people in show business started really loving themselves, uh, everything would suck. Well, you know, you know, I kind of, I kind of think that you know, a lot of us are drawn to this because of 
dealing with rejection or, or you know, wanting that validation, you yeah. know, um, that something happened to us in some sort of way where we need this validation and can't deal with rejection. And then we get into a business that is built around all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it seems to me that the people who usually do the best are the people who realize these things cannot be. Is this now an un, this is now untenable? Yeah, you know, to be a rejection junkie and then to be in this business. So it's kind of almost like we choose a profession that you know feeds off of those bad feelings. Kind of, it kind of is like a monster that feeds it mm-hmm. and feeds off of it. But then there's the other way where you can do some kind of work on yourself, yeah, to figure out how to deal with that rejection or to not let it get to you, yeah. And usually the people that approach that work. Rise. Yes. Continue to rise. It's yes. almost like this profession is like this profession is the test for you now. Yes. All that stuff that you built when you were young, yeah. time to let it go. Yep. If you were going to survive. If you and yeah, and if you're going to be good at this. And if also, you know, I mean it's not just it's not just a neurotic attachment to some kind of fucked up dynamic that you started when you were young. It's also really fucking fun. And it's yes. real it's really well, it's a good. great a great rewarding thing to do. Absolutely. So there is there is gravy to it. But if you get into it and you don't start like learning, you know, just from like a practical standpoint, hating myself is not good job insurance. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I yeah, gotta yeah. I gotta walk into every situation being like you should hire me, and if you don't, it's your loss. You know, and I mean, and it, that that can that's a fake it till you make it kind of yeah, attitude, yeah. but it, it's it's absolutely it necessary. Yeah, and I think that's advice that works across all professions. Absolutely, as well. Just, absolutely, just in case we're getting too inside. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> listeners. Well, no, absolutely, no. It's just, I mean, it's relationships. Yes. it's it's work it's you know it's everything it's with your family anything where you have to put yourself out there yeah you know i mean you don't want to be a dick you don't want to be no, like no, a, that's different a, a, a egomaniac but uh that's the hope <laughs> yeah some people think that the all, nothing but confidence is yeah. the key yeah yeah they have nothing to bring to the table no i know i know <laughs> just they a get, non-stop stream of confidence yeah you got it that's 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 also the dirty secret of show businesses uh, well you also kind of have to be able to do it Yes. You know, and you said, uh, you know, and when you start out and you're doing, you know, I, for me, it was improv and it was like, there were some people that were just so hungry and you just kind of had this feeling of like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should work on this yeah, uh, getting better. Yeah, it's just okay. Yeah, I, but I don't, you know. Mm. It was the same as stand up with me in Boston. Like, it was kind of like, there was a lot of comedians that were hustling, hustling, hustling all the time, hustling to get on shows. And then I would see them and be like, you never worked on your jokes. Yep. You spent all this time trying to get booked that you never wrote a joke. And worrying about who was in the audience and who could cast you and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. 
Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Now, you went to the East Coast for college for fine art, correct? I did for fine art. Now, have you been an artist throughout your whole childhood? Well, you know, I watching the TV and being funny at school and all that stuff, you know, it it all comes down to my grandmother taught me to write cursive when I was in kindergarten. Oh, wow. So I always could read very well. I had a reading level above most other students in my class, right? Yeah. Like, I remember being in fifth grade, and I had, like, my vocab words were, like, 11th grader vocab Mm. words or whatever the crap. So it meant that I could read off a page very easily. Yeah. In middle school, um, I would read off the page in some classes, and, you know, I'd start making voices if it was a character talking. And people were like, hey, you should go to this, you know, this performing arts high school here? You should go. You're so funny. You should go to that high school. And I had never heard of it, and I was like, all right. Luckily, um, the librarian at my middle school was the wife of the principal at the Performing Arts High School, Mrs. Gary. And so I went to her and talked to her about it. She kind of gave me a book of monologues. I had no idea what that was. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I auditioned for this Performing Arts High School in Vegas uh, called the Las Vegas Academy, which I ended up going to. Very unique high school experience because yeah. it was a performing arts high school. Right, right. Also in Las Vegas. Let us let us sure, sure. be clear about that. They well, had a showgirl major. We had a showgirl major. Um, <laughs> we also had blackjack. You had to be 21 for that. Or bust. No, yeah, I'm joking. Uh, there was dance. There yeah. was dance. Dance theater, music, you know, whether it be playing an instrument uh, or singing. Um, international. It's like, like a charter school. It's not a private it's school. A magnet school. Magnet school. Okay. Yes, meaning that it was open to anyone. But you, you just had, had to apply, to, in. apply yeah, yeah. and audition and yeah. all that stuff. And I watched uh, Hercules Legendary Journeys, uh, Xena's uh, brother show. I know, sure. Then I watched bowling, uh, and then I went to audition for, for this high school. It was literally <laughs> a Saturday. I'm like, all right, bowling's over. Time to go audition for this high yeah, school. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of kid I was. Uh, ended up going to that high school and started getting serious about because I always want to do stand-up. Andy, that's what I now know. I wanted to do stand-up. I wanted to do, you know, comedy in that kind of vein. I just, as a kid, did not know that that was something I was supposed to. Sure. Like, oh, you go to an open mic or you take an improv class. Like, nobody was there to tell me that. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, theater, people on people on stage yep. saying things. It's the same. Yeah. So I started pursuing that, theater in high school, acting in high school. And probably about my junior year, I started getting serious about like, oh, acting is something that you can actually train at. Yes. To become good. Does it mean you'll be famous? No. But does it mean you'll work? Yes. Uh And so I started applying to all these different theater schools in high school. 
Got into Boston University, and that's where I ended up going. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to go to DePaul, uh, which was in, is in Chicago. Yes. DePaul, SMU, where else did I apply? Roosevelt, also in Chicago. Yeah. Um, SUNY Purchase, Why Chicago? NYU. You just... Well, Chicago. Well, DePaul was, was – Chicago was an interesting city to me, just like Boston was. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to go to New York. They're both comedy centrals. And they're, they're, comedy, both, they're comedy both comedy central. Too. That's right. Yeah, one's yeah. ha – and one's the comedy channel. And they, they <laughs> no, I, I was, but you know, I mean, that's like in the early days of the Conan show. Absolutely, it was Boston and Chicago when yes. the with the writers. It was, mm, you know, yeah, it was right, very right. because Boston had that stand up boom, which yes. you know you were part of, uh, sorta. Maybe way, a little way after, after. <laughs> a way after, <laughs> way after. All right, slightly younger than Stephen Wright. I know I don't look it. <laughs> I know I don't look it. Yeah, but I mean, well, how old are you? Uh, Eighty eight. No, come on. Uh, Thirty eight. Thirty. Oh. Okay, yeah. but see, you know, you're not. You know, I guess that is true because I'm 52, so that's 14 years different. So yeah, yeah. I that, mean, that stand-up boom was sort of with my contemporaries. Yeah, I mean, Boston is a historic comedy town, as is Chicago. Yeah, and maybe there was a part of me that had a sense about that. I knew that Second City was in Chicago. Yeah, and so I was like, ooh, if I go to theater school, then and I also knew about the Goodman and the Steppenwolf and all yep. these like. Very interesting, amazing theaters where yeah. some of the best actors that are out there, yeah. you know, Second City is an equity stage. A lot of people don't know this, but it's like an equity theater. Yep. Yep. So it's like, I was like, hmm, like I could maybe go there and I could study theater and then I could study improv and I could get into Second City. And there, were, I had all these fantasies about Chicago. Yeah. It's also uh, more approachable than New York or Absolutely. Know, uh, these other towns. It's a little more comfortable. Yeah. You know? Chicago's bigger than Boston. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, knew I didn't want to go to New York, yeah. uh, right? At least not right out of high school. Too much too soon? Yeah, and um, it just seemed like it was overwhelming. Actually, when I was in college in Boston, I did go to visit a friend in New York one summer, mm-hmm. and I was like, it was the first time I went to New York City, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I was like, this is a huge place. Yeah. And I was like, so happy that I was like, I couldn't have done this like yeah, right yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I lived in New York for a, almost a decade. And, and, but now when I go back, I'm like, I don't understand how I did. <laughs> like, mm. I still, I'm like, this is overwhelming. This yeah. is a little much. Um, so yeah, I went to Boston well, University. Well, you're a child of the desert. I was a child of the desert. I right. watched, you know, every movie takes place in New York though. So I was like, yeah. maybe, um, went to Boston University, majored in theater and acting and, you know, all these influences as well, like, they kind of fold into my comedy and my stand-up. Sure. So I got, like, influences out of the theater that most – that the average stand-up comedian does not know about. Yeah. Or has not incorporated <laughs> Yeah, sure. into their, their jokes. Yeah. If you will. Now, was there a moment where you – I mean, you sort of spoke more generally about, mm-hmm. about realizing that stand-up was what you wanted to do. Was there a moment that it happened? Yeah, I mean – a friend of mine, shout out to Leo Goodman, did um, went to this place called the Williamstown Theater Festival. It's in mm-hmm. Western Massachusetts. Lewis Black, who a lot of people don't know, has a uh, master's in playwriting from the Yale School of Drama. Oh wow! Used to, I didn't know that. Used to go to the Williamstown Theater Festival and teach a stand-up comedy course. Wow! Because he said that he believes in giving the knowledge to the gener- next generation. In front of them, you know, like yeah. you can read my book, but I could also tell it to you. Sure. Um, and so my friend Leo Goodman took his took his seminar, and he gave him some knowledge about st- how to start stand up. That when Leo t- came and told me, it just suddenly 
Because it was the first time that anyone had given me any practical advice of what to do when it came to stand-up. It just suddenly demystified it to me. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I got to find an open mic. And then I found an open mic in, in Boston and started going. And mm-hmm. this was probably about my – actually, it was the summer between my sophomore and junior years. So it was the summer of 2001 yeah. that I started doing stand-up. And that's when I realized that, like, oh, like, I just – Loved it. Yeah, this is it. It's so immediate. It's it's me and you. And I had all this theater training, so being on stage was easy. Was easy. Yeah. And stage fright wasn't a problem. Yeah. I was just concerned about what am I saying? You know, am I saying anything that's interesting yeah. up there? Um, or am I an idiot? And that's always been my concern. <laughs> Before that first open mic, did yeah. you did you work a long time on the material? I always ask this about stand-ups because I'm always annoyed when somebody says, a stand-up says, friends told me go on up there it's an open mic and i went up and winged it i just feel like that's not true i mean i i had people tell me that um but i knew that winging it wasn't going to work i mean when i was young i used to think that everybody was winging it because nobody sure i didn't know any better and i was like wow you got to get so funny that you could just go up there and talk and everybody will respond in these rhythmic way and and then i figured out like oh no you write it yeah yeah. you figure out what you want to say and that was what my friend Leo got from Lewis Black. It was like, just come up, come funny stories. Yeah. Tell a story. Yeah. And I immediately thought of a funny story to tell, which is when I accidentally um, in high school, you know, I had little sisters. They were babies when I was in high school. And one day I came home uh, and ate a bowl of cereal uh, and the milk was um, in a water bottle in a not regular way for milk to be in the fridge. And yes. I was like, oh, it must have been like an empty two liter, poured it into this water bottle I to take up space, poured it in my cereal, ate it, went about my merry business. That was in the morning, right? Came mm. home from school. The whole family is literally laughing as I walked in. I'm like, what's going on? Like, you drank my breast milk. That's what, <laughs> you drank my breast milk is what's going on. Couldn't you taste the difference? Uh. And I was like, no, it was Cocoa Puffs. So... <laughs> Changed it to chocolate breast milk, like the kind you get from brown cows. This is one of my fir- fav- my first stand-up j- sure, jokes. Sure, So I just you know went to an open mic, and I had a couple ideas, loose ideas of what kinds of things I wanted to talk about. I had that story. I had some other observations, but I didn't know what it was going to be like to be up there. Yeah. I don't even remember it, honestly. Yeah. I was like in a trance. Yeah. I went up there. I was talking. People were laughing. I came off stage, and people were like, hey, that was really fun. I'm like, I don't know I don't remember what it. Yeah. happened. It's weird how that happens. Like I always say, the first time that I was on Letterman, uh, I, di- I didn't see anything but his nose and mouth. <laughs> I have no visual recollection of being on there, <laughs> but his nose and his mouth. Wow. Because I just, and I would look at the audience just out of like, you know, training to relate to the audience, but it was as if my eyes didn't work and mm. all I could see in a tunnel vision was that. Yeah. It's, it's weird how nerves do that to you. Yeah. I, there was a mirror right next to me and I just kept looking in the mirror. My right, whole sense. I just remember seeing myself in the mirror. Damn, I look good. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently at some point I looked in the mirror and went, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> And then people laughed. That's me killing. I don't remember saying it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. What a terrible idea to have a fucking mirror, mirror on right stage there. where you're doing stand-up. Yeah. The most self-involved people in the world <laughs> put a fucking Having mirror to look next at to themselves. Them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then how soon, uh, I mean, how long did it take to become that, uh, become a profession for you? Well, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I went into my junior and senior year of college um, and then I moved to New York a little after that 
Um, fortunately, because I did the Williamstown Theater Festival after graduating, I got cast in a Broadway play. Oh, nice. So the first job I had in New York was a Broadway play called wow. Drowning Crow um, that had to start Alfre Woodard and Anthony Mackie, Anjanou Ellis, Tracy Toms. Wow. Um, re- some really great actors. That's heady stuff to have happen so quick. Right, right so away. Young. Yeah. Um, and I had, I was not prepared. Yeah. And I look back and I was like wet behind the ears, like dripping wet behind the ears. Um, didn't really, and after that I worked at a law firm, <laughs> you know, so it's right. like I was doing stand up. then his play happened and it ended after three months and I didn't, I was like, oh, what, what's next? Uh, I guess I go do another Broadway play. Is that how it works? Hey, let me into your play. Uh, like knocking on the door, stage doors. Can I get it? Can I be in this? I was in a play. I yes. need another play. I was in one. I can be in this one. Um, started doing stand up and then started booking commercial, like doing commercial mm-hmm. auditions. Booked a commercial, was able to quit my job. And this was, I was still youngish. Yeah. So this is about 25, 26. Yeah. That I suddenly had enough money where I was a professional. Yeah. Quit my day job, was doing commercials, doing stand up around the city, then did commercials for another two, three years before I started doing colleges. Yeah. So then I was touring around doing colleges. Yeah. And I'm talking like, this is like I'd be 2006 to 2009 ish. Mm-hmm. Was my brother, my, my brother, my bread and butter yeah. was, was performing at colleges all around the country. Um, and those are pretty good gigs. I mean, I did some college tour, you know, speaking gigs, and mm-hmm. I think they're certainly better than stand up clubs. A lot the of the time, uh, I think, yeah. especially when I was younger, but then when I started getting a little older and wanted to talk about my actual life now, yeah. then it became this these 20 year olds. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. haven't paid a bill, you know, like they yeah. haven't dated outside of the context of it being a university, you yeah. know. So then it started to, I started to relate to them less and they yeah. started to relate to me less. I understand. And then the clubs in, in New York, where it was more the alt comedy scene, if you mm-hmm. will, became sort of where I started to kind of come up there. Um, and then luckily, not too long after I stopped doing colleges, um, I started booking shows like tv shows here and there mm-hmm. like like acting work we're, and you were still in new york at this time i was still in new york yeah, yeah i booked a pilot i tested for a pilot that i did not get then the next year i booked a pilot that did not get picked up mm-hmm. and then the year after that i booked a pilot that did get picked up and then i ended up having to move to canada for a couple of years oh really that. yeah what was, what was that uh it was called fairly legal it was a usa oh okay uh a show at the time characters were welcome yeah uh and so they were like you got to go to vancouver though and uh and that's when i found out i was depressed <laughs> <laughs> i was working but i was very isolated yeah in a city and a country where i knew no one yeah yeah and so it was kind of like oh why do i feel this um what is this feeling it was it was like not sadness it's deeper than that right, hmm. right. i wish i knew i wish i had words for this yeah. until a friend of mine liz winstead actually said i think you're depressed and i was like what like i it like blew my head open where i was like oh this is oh this is what oh, they all talk about yeah i get it and it kind of I, you know changed my life in a lot of ways because i started trying to address it yeah instead of just be possessed by it and you think it was something that it was a, it was in your life throughout yeah 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 when i when i i was i recognized the feeling and then i recognized immediately that this is something i had been feeling yeah for here and there for a long time um which i did not 
know, didn't recognize. It's also like there's a racial component to it, too, because I was like, black people don't get depressed. Right. It's not an experience that we have, mm-hmm. depression or anxiety. And then at some black point— Black people don't have time for depression. But we're very—but black people are depressed. Of course. <laughs> or anxious, like anybody else. Of course. And so—but a lot of it, you know, it's it's it's— it's folded into the experience of race as well. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like you can have anxiety, but then you can also be killed by a cop for real. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of like, ooh, you know, that's something that gives me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. So uh, therapy, medication. Been going to therapy for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do I do? I try to do all these different things to kind of you know help with it. But then also it's kind of like I don't. I haven't uh, gone on medications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I haven't have had a doctor, you know, or a psychiatrist or whatever diagnose me with any sort of mood disorder mm-hmm. or, or you know, thing like that. So I've never taken a medication. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly been like therapy and just trying to put routines and habits into my life that are helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they, as far as I know, everything's been working. That's good. Yeah. You know, no, I mean they'll tell you honestly. They'll. I mean, I've been on medication for decades and they you know you you walk in and they're like okay yeah i mean I'm, that was my experience <laughs> really the first like, time yeah they're yeah. like yeah i mean because yeah I, I i when i was in chicago doing improv broke i answered a classified ad for a clinical trial that, mm. where they were using higher doses of an anti-anxiety medication to see how it treated depression mm. and i i went through that and and it initially was fantastic it was almost euphoric the sort of relief that i got from this fucking miserable cloud that followed me around everywhere mm-hmm. uh, and then it sort of didn't it sort of stopped working and when the clinical trial was done it was done mm. and and i was back to being probably even more miserable from some sort of slingshot effect and i went to see a a, a, a therapist with a sliding scale and described that that uh, process of this clinical trial, and she said, she said, she said they had, that's malpractice. She said, I, she huh. said, just looking to you at you and talking to you. She said they should have known you shouldn't have had some sort of like experimental thing. They should have just told you you should get on some fucking medication. Wow. You know? Yeah. So, and I, you know, and, and just. Within the last few years, I was on a medication that just kind of stopped being effective. It mm. just like uh, like seepage, just mm. and and it was it was slow enough that I just kind of didn't even realize it. And then got a new shrink and went in, and he was like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "I can just," he goes, and then when I started a new medication, he's just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is night and day difference." He goes, "You walked in here, and I was like, oh yeah." <laughs> Get that guy on some on as much well butchered as this guy needs to help down yeah. his throat. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it. You, you know, it's evident when it, when it's necessary. And yes. It's, and for me, and I don't have any. You know, I'll be on it the rest of my life. I don't care. You know, it's like it. it, it if I had cholesterol issues, I'd be on fucking Lipitor. It's just like there's no <laughs> there's no weakness in it or anything. So. No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. To each their own. Yeah, I, I say. And how? And when you started therapy, did yeah. you were you open to it? Did you like it? I did. I did. Um, I had gone to some therapy sessions when I was in college, but they were very limited because it was in a college structure. Mm-hmm. I think that and they're learning how to give do therapy. Well, the it was it was with. a real yeah. therapist that this. Oh, this, it was. Yeah, it was like the the mental health center or whatever the crap it was mm-hmm. called. 
and I went to it and they kind of had this thing where they, they, they wean you off of therapy. Like you basically can get five free sessions. Yeah. Um, to go to therapy in college, at least when I was at BU, this was the, this was the policy. You get five free sessions, and then if they see that you are not a danger to yourself, yeah, or other students, then they then they are like, okay, well, we need this time for the kids who for are other kids. <laughs> the, yeah, kids, yeah, yeah. the kids who are a danger. Like, okay, you you got some issues, but you're not going to hurt anyone or yourself. Yeah. So or peace, yeah, peace yeah. be unto you. Um, and then I didn't go back for a really long time, but you know, I also kind of was doing that like. Uh, my art is my therapy, bro. Like put everything on yeah, stage, yeah, yeah. kind of stuff like that. Um, but that that isn't isn't effective. I have a lot of heady conceptual theories about uh-huh. <laughs> all that stuff that we don't have another eight hours, do we? <laughs> well, okay. Well, you know, uh, let's get to this second question. Oh, uh, where are you going? <laughs> I mean, do you have, I mean, you obviously, if you've talked, I mean, you've got another kid on the way. That's a, yeah. a big thing, you know. I mean, where I'm going, Andy, you know, uh, Paul, is um, it's kind of, um, I mean, you know, even talking about what we're talking about and kind of all this different, you know, like even the mental health stuff and just like how I grew up and stuff like that. I guess the theme that that arches over all of it is wanting a, a, a place that I belong, mm-hmm. right? Um, wanting a community that I belong, wanting a, wanting to be in a city that I like, you know, um, or a family that wasn't dysfunctional or a school where I wasn't getting beat up mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or a school where I wasn't tested on my knowledge of musical theater at all times, which is what, <laughs> that's bullying in performance, in, in performing wow, arts high yeah, school. Yeah. Who wrote Sweeney Todd? Tell me. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, you suck. And then yeah. they walk away like, Sondheim, ah, oh, damn, I missed it. So where I'm going is, is, I guess you could say giving myself my own feeling of belonging. Yeah. So even creating a show like The New Negroes is an attempt to which is create my own community. Describe that for what The New Negroes is for people. The New Negroes is my new um, stand-up comedy showcase variety show, mini slashes and hyphens. Wow. Uh, on Comedy Central with co-hosted by Open Mike Eagle. Uh-huh. Um, in which we host it, we kind of unpack a little bit of a social theme. Then we have three comics and an original song by Mike and a guest every single um, episode that also, you know, is a music video. So it's kind of just a way to sound the horn, I guess, in a kind of yeah. way, go, ooh, and see who responds, create a community, you know, it kind of started- in a, a context co- for yourself. In yeah. a context for to myself. Exist. yeah. Because when I was thinking about, I, was, I guess I was a couple years ago, I was at a low, low, and um, it was before I, before Grace and Frankie happened, mm-hmm. where I- Which you're fantastic in, by the well, way. Thank you very much, Andy, appreciate that. Thank you for watching. Um, before I did that, like, I didn't work for like two and a half years. Ouch. And I was going broke- and uh, I found out that I had a business manager that was stealing money. Uh, Hashtag embezzlement. Wow. I always have Michael McDonald come in when I <laughs> when I start talking about stuff that's a little uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Because I'm stealing your money. What tonight. little you have? All right, calm down, Michael. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Um. So I was like strapped, you know, like yeah. for cash. And I, <laughs> the one day I was like, you know what? I can turn this around. I went, I walked down to like a coffee bean down by my place, turned around, came back home. And then there was a uh, letter on my door, on my front door, which was a summons 
from Boston University because I was being sued for an outstanding student loan. And I was like, what? I don't have any money. (laughs) And they sued me? Can they do this? And then uh, I had to pay them $8,000 that I didn't have. Wow. And um, I literally fell to the floor. I was like, this is not going to, I'm not going to, this, that was, I went to like a low, low, right? So then I kind of started thinking about the idea of branding. Now I hate this idea. When I first I heard it, yeah, yeah. when I first heard it, I was like, it's a gross name for something very important. It can be useful. Yes. Now to go back to this Lewis Black lesson, what he said to my friend, one of the things that he taught in this seminar is that your comedy character, the person you play on stage is you, but it isn't you. Yeah. If you think of all the aspects of your personality as slices of a pie, your comedy character is two or three of those slices exaggerated. Yeah. And I started thinking about that and like, well, which parts of myself is it that I wish to share with an audience? Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking of branding as a conduit for that. Yeah. As kind of like, well, you know, I'm a intellectual, you know, nerdy, you know, um, depressive black dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where's where's the space for me? Right. So I kind of that's what New Negroes was born out of is kind of thinking of ways to I guess create the spaces that I I I wish existed, you mm-hmm. know, for for me beforehand. Yeah. Cuz um, I think even especially within comedy Blackness can be its own kind of monolith, you know? Yes, exactly. Well, you know, that's that's what's ironic about it sometimes is that, like, black comedy becomes its own section. Yeah, yeah. You know, black li- it's over there with black literature. Or women's comedy. And black yeah, movies, right, yeah, next yeah. to the women's comedy yeah. and next to the gay comedy. Um, as opposed to, it's all comedy. Yeah, yeah. You know, some people are black, some people are gay, some people are women, some people are all of them. Yeah. You know, at, yep, at once. Yep, yep. So it's kind of like... Comp- and I guess I, I I just kind of look at a, look at it for the sense of I didn't want to adhere, if you will, to any predetermined uh, box yeah. that I'm supposed to fit into, which is another thing that showbiz can do. Yeah, it's like we got some boxes. Which one do you fit into? Yeah, yeah. None of those. Ooh, well, come back when it's a different six boxes. Yeah. Um. So I I wanted to create a place where. Um, I can be myself. Every comic can be myself. I'm not telling them this is the kind of style of comedy. This is the kind of voice or the kind of things you are supposed to talk about when you right. come up here. Um, everyone is themselves. Yeah. And I just wanted a place where everyone can be themselves, including me. That's great. And that's what the whole point of the show is. The title is borrowed from a book from the Harlem Renaissance, which mm-hmm. was a collection of authors, writers, thinkers of the time creating a place for them all to be exactly who they are. Yeah. So I kind of taking that very intellectual idea and saying, but what about some dick jokes? Uh, and that's <laughs> always got to have dick gotta, jokes. Gotta, gotta get those dick jokes in there. Am I right? Um, but not, not literal dick jokes. Yeah. Of just course. the concept. <laughs> Conceptual dick jokes, yeah, which is yeah. just random silliness. Yeah. Uh, pin 15. But, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what the whole point of that is, is just me thinking of, things I want to make for myself that I like. And that's where I'm going is finally coming into my own in a place of self-comfort, self-confidence, self-awareness, self-acceptance, you know, having to to realize and to recognize that what I do has worth Mm -hmm. and that, you know, as long as I am, you know, it's uh, the, whatever I'm creating is true to who I am at that time. Yeah. I can't fail. Right. You know, even if someone doesn't want to make it. Yep. I made it. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Because it's, you know, 
The important thing ultimately, especially now that there's not that much money in show business, <laughs> is is to be satisfied. Is you know, absolutely is to is to you know you it, it's a short life. You might as well get the most of it. Well, if you're not doing stuff that you like, yeah. What's the point? What is the point? What's the point? Now, um, fatherhood is is always an interesting topic to me, yeah. and I wonder how this notion of of finding you know a sense of permanence and a, mm-hmm. a sense of place, like. How becoming a father fits into that? Did it inform it, or does the you know the, this this looking for permanence inform your job as a father, or your you know who you are as a father? Well, yes, absolutely. You know, because the thing is that being a father kind of has made me, whether I like it or not, see the things that I did not receive. Yeah, having no father myself. Yeah, and so you're self invented, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. and. and I guess it's kind of like, like, even when I talk about, like, we want to move to a place where there's a yard, you know, like, these are things that I want for my son. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, everybody is like, oh, everybody wants their kids to have right. more than they had. Yeah. Um, but you want it for little Baron, too. In a sort of a way. Yeah, why not? So, I kind of look at it like, you know, I get to, I get to re-experience in a sort of a way my youth yeah. through him. You know, see the world through a child's eyes, as they say, mm-hmm. which helps me kind of. I see what just regular old, plain old, unfiltered, unadulterated joy yeah. and happiness looks like. Yeah, yeah. And what it feels like. And I go like, oh, wait, that's in me. Yeah. that That's what I was originally. Yeah. Before all this other bullshit happened. Yeah, yeah. This is And the you pure. want to make more of that for your kid. That's the thing, too. Absolutely. Like, for me, it was always like, there was so much... Uh, you know, I mean, I grew up with a lot of sadness and loss. Yes. And I don't, you know, uh, when you see happy kids without a care, you think, okay, yeah, that's, well, let's keep that up. Let's get, let's, let's keep the bullshit at bay until yeah, they yeah. have to actually go out and deal with it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mentioned Alfred Woodard a little earlier. She gave me a tip on parenting a long time ago yeah. before I even knew I wanted to be a parent where that, I'm going to incorporate, which is just about like, because I want my child to have joy, of course, but at the same time, I don't want him to be sheltered. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to coddle him, hold his hand through everything. Yeah. Some things are the things that he has to figure out on his own. Mm -hmm. And so she, I had asked her because, you know, you you know, there is that want to kind of, um, I, I keep saying shelter, but you know, you want to kind of put up some sort of barrier between your child and any negative protection yeah you want to protect them and so i asked her like how does she do that how does she get around that how does she do that with her kids and she said that you know i never lie to my children she's like i will tell them a version of the truth that they can understand at that age yes you know but the thing is that like she's like i tell them if they ask me this at five then i will tell them what i think they can understand at five yes because they'll come back at 10 and then I can just build on what I already yep. said. Yep. And they'll come back at 15 and I'll build on what I said. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's great. Yep. You know, so it's kind of like, I don't have to tell them everything, but I can be like, well, it's this and this and this. What does that mean? I'll let you know when you're older. <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's kind of like, oh, it's not. And also, I'm not going to do everything perfectly. That's the other thing. Yeah. Trying to, trying to like give, give myself permission to mess up. Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, your kid's young, but I, one of the things... Because I kind of, I'm a, I, I said it before in this show, like I didn't really have a model for a father. I mean, my folks divorced when I was very young and my dad wasn't around a lot. So I didn't, re- I didn't have a 
father model. So yeah. I think I just basically was a mother. Like I just basically, <laughs> I just, I do, uh, you know, I'm, I, I mother my children. Mm. I mean, I, you know, not as much as their mother does because I'm not a mother, but I do think that like, I'd sure do a lot more cooking and cleaning than a lot of, <laughs> than a lot of, than a lot of men I know. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, well, but, well, I, you uh, know, I grew up with my grandmother and my mother. Yeah. So I saw two women li- do literally everything. Yeah, that's all the uh, time. same thing. I grew up in a house full of women. I, there just weren't that many men around, you know? It, yeah. So my uh, fathers were comedians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I looked up to and I'm like, well, hmm, do I want to be prior to my son? Don't think so. No, no, no. Being a father, it's in terms of making mistakes. Mm hmm. You got it. One thing that I found very powerful, and I because I just started doing it out of a sense of it being the right thing to do, and it was something that I I don't have much recollection whatsoever of it happening. But when you fuck up, apologize to your children. Oh yeah, tell them I'm sorry. I made a mistake, mm. and and I'll try not to do that again. You know, mm. and. And the other thing that I think uh, about parenting is that's a huge thing is uh, is you have to have respect for your children as individuals. You can't just you have to have. I see so many people parenting their kids without any respect, like treating them like they're some kind of animal that they're training. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when I mean, from the very earliest age, they're autonomous creatures that you got to give a little room to, and a, you know, and let them have their dignity. You know, yeah, yeah. He's very, and my son is very independent in yeah. that sort of sense. Like, you know, we have this babysitter who has has children herself, and she's very impressed. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, good. How do you get him? To, he's brushing his teeth. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. He's brushing his that's teeth. That's wonderful. How yeah. Did you do that? And we're like, I have no idea. Some of them just are like that. Yeah, he yeah. saw us doing it, and he was like, "Me too." Yeah. No, I my kid. There are so many ways that my two kids are completely different, mm-hmm. and there one is you know, one is responsible in one way, and one is like confident in one way that the other one isn't. It just it just sort of happens that way. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious to see what the second kid's going to be like. Reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we're getting to the end here. All right. Um, you know, we've done a lot. We've really, I mean, we talked about certainly where you come from and where you're going. We explicitly talked about that. I think I think we talked about what I learned even. Yeah, we certainly did. But I mean, yeah. but is there, I, I mean, do you have kind of, whether you call it a mantra or kind of, a, you know, words to live by hmm. that you kind of, is there some sort of idea? I know it's simplistic, but I mean, it's a fucking podcast. What do you want from me? Yeah, okay. Um, so um, that play, Drowning Crow, um, that I did when I, Got out of college. It was a adaptation of a play called The Seagull by Anton mm-hmm. Chekhov. This is a man named Peter Francis James. Shout out to Peter Francis James. He's on. I think he's on Broadway right now. He's got to be listening. He probably might be. We just did it. Actually, just did a play with him in Connecticut uh, last year. But he played this role, Trigorin, Trigger. I guess in our version, but it's like he's this old writer. And then the woman Nina, who's nineteen, is fascinated by him. He's a famous writer. She asks him, "What is this? What is it like?" being a writer and he is trying to outline to her that it's torture mm-hmm. and so when I, when I hear this line it's Peter Francis James saying it he's like I see a cloud it looks like an old man's beard I have to take a note I see a tree it reminds me of a childhood memory I have to take a note everything becomes something else Yeah, I'm a cannibal consuming my own life and I was like what like as an adult I got because us as creators yeah. comedians writers we are constantly taking our lives and putting them through the filter right. of what 
bit can I get out of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing that I have learned is to live my life. If I am always thinking about how to turn my life into material, then I'm not living my life. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I'm always putting this haze. Like a friend of mine recently was like, oh, she was saying, my mom's turning 60. I'm taking her to Hawaii. I'm going to get like 10 minutes out of it. I'm like, no, just be with your mom in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. enjoy Hawaii. Because the, the more that you live your life, when you make the time later to turn it into something, since you lived in it fully, you'll have more to report. Right. You'll have more to draw from. So it's kind of like, at all times, you can't be making things. Yeah. You have to turn off the faucet yeah. every now and then. Yeah. Live your damn life as well as you can, as yeah. honestly and as bravely as you can. And then when it's time to turn it into jokes, turn it into a script, turn it into a painting, then you turn the faucet on. And yeah. because you've lived your life, because you have put water in the well, yeah, then you'll be able to get something out of it. And even if you don't fully master that— Master, master which thing? Uh, ma- ma- master it in terms of like it, where you perfectly separate your living oh, from your yeah, creation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if it's still kind of messy, just making the effort. Yes. Just making the effort is is key because you're never going to get it perfect. No. You know, yeah. Of course not. You're always going to be like, you know, when you're w- doing, like for me, it's like something will happen and I'm, I'll be like, oh, that's a fucking tweet. Uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm, I'll have a moment of like, oh, come on, give it a rest. But it's like, I'm sorry, it's there. It's, yeah. it's going to be a tweet eventually, you know. Absolutely. So, but it's, you know. That's why I like drafts. Yeah. <laughs> but you're always, I mean, you're always going to create, but you have to remember to live too. And, absolutely. And I, that's, that's absolutely key. You have to have something to, to report. Yeah. You have to have something, you have to have life that you want to turn into yeah. the art. And also too, ultimately- when you reach the finish line, what's going to matter more? A joke that you said for three months, you know, f- 30 years ago, or the vacation that you took with your kids, or that, you know, how you felt when somebody uh, somebody you love got married. You know, I mean, y- it, y- you know, you got to yes. remember what is actually nourishment and what is just junk food. This morning, was it this morning? My goodness, it was this morning. I don't know. This morning before I came here, uh, you know, my wife is very pregnant. She's going to have a baby in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And our son was, she was laying down and he was pointing at her stomach going, baby, baby. And like, he felt her stomach and the baby kicked. Mm -hmm. And he was like, (gasps) and I was like, oh, wait. I just, in that moment, I was like, oh, this is one of the happiest moments of my life right now. Like just to him, like. That joy and like him, him being like, oh, I the, like he was happy yeah. that someone's coming instead of yeah. like, who's this motherfucker? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was my shit. And now this kid is here. Yeah. No, that's my bottle. Give me that. I'll crawl, sort of thing. Still might happen. Yeah. But in that moment, I was like, oh, this is pretty amazing. <laughs> that's beautiful. This is mine forever, sort yeah. of a thing. That's the at the end. I'm gonna be happy that happened. Yeah. Well, Baron, we are. We have. Uh, you've done. A wonderful service to me <laughs> by filling up Thank this you, time Paul. so wonderfully. Thank you so much. This is really great, and uh, I, I, it was it was a real pleasure to get to know you better. And hey, to, and to, yeah, back at you, Andy. Yeah. It, was, it was a nice talk. All right. Well, thank you, people, for listening to the three questions with Andy Richter, and my thanks to Baron Vaughn. And we will see you. Well, I mean, we won't see you. We we will talk to you next time.
The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galit Sahayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.